Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is numbers guru extraordinaire, Jay Cost. Jay, I was reading the Wall Street Journal today and reading some of the coverage on the Weekly Standard, and everyone says the same thing, that the momentum is shifting the Republicans' way. The Republicans look like they're in great shape. And you know what my first thought was, Jay? If there's anybody who can screw this up, it's the GOP. So so tell me and my fellow Weekly Standard fans, am I right that this— that there's still a way for the Republicans to how good a shape are they in and on paper? And then how badly can they screw this up in the next week? Well, I actually think the chances of them screwing things up has declined. Um, you know, a week ago, it looked as though they still might let things fall apart in South Dakota, which is, you know, was a reasonable proposition because they did the exact same thing in North Dakota in 2012. So I thought, you know, maybe they're just moving 200 miles south to do it again. Um, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen. We got a poll out over the weekend from Marist showing um, former Governor Mike Rounds, a Republican, up by a solid uh, amount. And then just today, Mason Dixon did released a poll showing him up as well. So that sort of takes one off the list. So all in all, I, I think that they look to be in reasonably good shape to to take control of the Senate. You never know, obviously. But when we get this late in the cycle, the polling averages become more accurate. And, you know, look, right now they're up in a net of or a gross of eight seats. And according to Real Clear Politics, they're in the lead in eight Democratic seats. And the Democrats have a lead in zero Republican seats. The only lead they have is from Greg Orman in Kansas, and that is a lead that's less than a point. So they look to be in good shape. In uh, Georgia, I noticed that uh, after a run of five polls in a row with Michelle Nunn either up or tied, two new polls out over the weekend showing uh, Purdue with actual, you know, in in this environment, kind of significant two-point and three-point leads. Is Georgia safe or is Georgia essentially safe on the fallback, which is once it goes to a runoff, all the odds favor the GOP? Well, I am, uh, first of all, um, you know, regarding one of one of those polls was the CBS News New York Times YouGov poll, and I would just caution our listeners in interpreting those because that's not actually a poll in the normal sense that we think of polls. That's actually panel data, which is to say that these are all people that CBS New York Times YouGov have been interviewing throughout the entire cycle now. Um, so it's not exactly like everybody else's. So I put a little asterisk next to that, which is not to say that it's not worthwhile. It's just to say that it's not. It's not a poll in the sense that we think of them. It's a different kind of data, but it can still be helpful data. Yeah, it can still be helpful. You have to interpret it with caution. Uh, look, I think that, um, you know, that, that, that is probably going to a runoff. Um, I think that David Perdue has proven himself to be a weak candidate, and Michelle Nunn has proven herself to be a reasonably good candidate, especially for the state. But look, at the same time, you know, it's important not to make too much of that because Barack Obama is enormously unpopular and voters are going to connect Michelle Nunn to Barack Obama. And frankly, I don't think they're wrong to do so. So I think that's probably going to go to a runoff where I would favor that I would favor Purdue. And there are a lot of reasons for that, including who tends to show up at runoffs and who tends to not show up in runoffs. Also, the Louisiana looks appeared uh, appears to be headed for runoff as well, right? Yeah, Louisiana probably will head to a runoff, although I, I think that the Democrats are just in enormous danger in Louisiana. I think Landrieu is, has always been one of the most vulnerable members of the Democratic caucus for this cycle. And, and look, I mean, it, I, I haven't seen a poll 
in months that show her at 45 percent against um, uh, against um, Bill Cassidy, the uh, the uh, the Republican. I mean, you have to go all the way back to September, um, and that was a PPP poll, and they're they're Democrat firm. So I, I just really have my doubts that there's even a coalition in Louisiana that will elect Landrieu at this point. Let me ask you this: Do you sense that we might be on the verge of kind of uh, the breaking point for the the money that Harry Reid has been able to pump in to shore up Democrats? And then the uh, you know historic, or not historic, but the you know the the brand damage of the Republican Party kind of holding people off. Do you get a sense we might be at the point where all of that finally cracks and people just go, look, Republicans, Libertarians, whatever, Unitarians, I'm just voting against the guys who are in charge and the guys who are in charge of the Democrats, and that's just that. And you're going to kind of see maybe a mini wave kind of re- uh, election where the wave crashes here at the very end. Um, well, look, I think one of the things we need to keep in mind here is that it, it, it's going to be a wave in a, in a meaningful sense of the word, at least in the House of Representatives. Nobody's going to notice it, but the fact of the matter is, is that the Republicans are probably going to win as many seats as they've won since 1946. And they're probably going to carry as large a share of the popular vote as they have since 1946. It's not going to result in a great number of seats being picked up because the Republicans already have so many seats. But the size of the Republican vote in the House of Representatives is something that people are going to ignore, but they will be wrong to ignore it. So I already think we're, we're headed for a wave in that sense. Um, in terms of the Senate, you know, look, if the Republicans pick up six seats, historically, you know, Democrats picked up six seats in 2006, and that was considered a wave. So, you know, what? it's like asking a question, you know, how many angels can you fit on right. the, on like, the I don't, I don't know. I think there's something more here. In other words... If the Republicans end up picking up the six seats for the majority, but the sixth seat is David Perdue winning a runoff in January after you know a series of one point and one and a half point races around the country, I do think that that says something different about the opportunities for the party and 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 maybe the misgivings about the party versus if they win, you know, a bunch of kind of normal, you know, 47, 53-ish races, they've got the six or seven seats on election night and they pick up one or two more in the runoffs. Do you see, Don't I, I think it has a, I think it's important politically whether or not it matters, uh, you know, vote-wise, whatever, you know, is not the same thing. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I I see what you're saying. I, you know, and, and look, is there a chance that that could happen? Yeah, there is. I mean, look, there was a poll that came out just, you know, a couple minutes ago showing a you know survey USA showing a tie in North Carolina look you know i mean if the republicans pick up the eight seats that they have a lead in right now and then they get North Carolina and they hold right. Kansas and Georgia um, you know that's going to be enormous right and if they win some of these races like i said uh, you know by not you know it's, it's in other words it's not 48.7 versus 47.6 versus 4 Right. It's rather 52.1 versus 46.1. You know, you see what I'm saying? I I honestly believe that if the Republicans win by the skin of their teeth, that it's going to embolden Tea Party movement types to say, you know what? We've still got to pick up. We've still got to be more uh, ideologically driven. But if they win with some, you know, a a traditional, if you win, or the word comfortable isn't quite right, but you know what I mean, a a win with some room in it. The thing that might give the Tea Party wing and the more establishment wing a chance to come together and say, okay, look, we're not in as bad a shape as we were a year, year and a half, two years ago. Let's not screw this up. 
let's put smart pieces together and let's go forward. And I think it could it could make a big difference. Yeah, I think I, I do. I would agree with that. And I think, look, you know, moving forward, I, I think that it's you know it's going to be a challenge for the Republicans to get control of the Congress and, and then not be able to do anything, right. which is re- really what's going to happen. I mean, they'll be able to stop. You know, the real payoff for a Republican victory will be an end to Obama's efforts to pack this, the appellate district courts with nominees based on, you know, 50 votes in the Senate. But beyond that, in terms of getting anything positive done, you know, look, it's not going to happen. This is the most liberal president we've had, at least since LBJ. Um, and he's got the veto pen for another two years, and I guarantee you he'll wield it. So, okay, let's get back to the stuff people really want to hear, which is uh, baseball, you know, the, uh, the horse race. So sure. let me ask you some horse race questions. Talked to Sean Trendy earlier today, a mutual friend of ours over at Real Cup Politics. He said the seat that he was the would be the least surprised if the Republicans end up losing it. The one that looks good but it, but wouldn't surprise him is Colorado. And he says so because of the, you know, they're mailing out a ballot to every household. There's a lot of weird stuff going on with the actual mechanics of voting out there. How do you feel about Colorado one week out, uh, Jay Cost? Yeah, I would agree in general outline with, with, uh, with Sean's analysis on that, which is to say that, you know, Colorado sort of has this weird untested system, um, you know, and and I would add to that that in in 2010 uh, the Republican nominee had had a lead, and on election day that ended up you know disappearing. Um, Michael Bennett won re-election over Ken Buck that year, even though Buck had a lead of three points in the polls. So the polls ended up being off by about a net of four points, which is you know substantial and relevant because right now the polls show a lead of three points for Cory Gardner. So he could you know that could fall apart too, for that reason. Um, I, so I would agree with that that Colorado is the is the most um, you know unique of the races. Although I, the flip side of that though is that Colorado is also showing you know Cory Gardner has a pretty substantial lead in the in the polls. Um, you know, and again, you sort of if you put an asterisk next to that um, uh, next to that uh, online poll, right. You have you have him leading by you know something on the order of four four five points. And not that, but Governor Hickenlooper, the Democrat, is in a little bit. You know, he's in a tighter race than people expected. I mean, I think you can see that there's a Republican surge going on, so that yeah. lends some credibility. Now, the other end of the country, how hilarious will it be, Jay Cost, if Georgia gives the governorship and a Senate seat to Democrats? While Massachusetts is giving a governor's seat and New Hampshire is giving a Senate seat to Republicans, <laughs> talk about the upside-down election. Yeah, it's very possible that that could happen, and and it gets to this sort of you know peculiar effect, which is you know that each state is is influenced by the national climate, but you know there are so many local elements, which is what makes the Senate a, a difficult you know, election to predict, you know, unlike in, in, on a presidential level, you know, the two candidates are the same, um, in every state it's, you know, the democratic nominee and the right. Republican nominee, but in the Senate, it's, you know, it's different because the Republican nominee and the democratic nominee are different. And so, you know, in a state like Massachusetts where the Democrats are running Martha Coakley for the governorship, you know, and she's the one who blew it against Scott Brown back in 2010, you know, she could do it again, even as the Republicans, lose Georgia. And for, for the opposite reason is that the Republicans, especially on the Senate side, have a, a really weak candidate, as and, it turned out. And Scott Brown, a strong candidate, uh, a very good at campaigning, and Gene Shaheen having a tough time of it. And uh, it was interesting. I think the most significant thing that's happened in that race thus far 
was Gene Shaheen interrupting Scott Brown while he was giving an answer at the end of a debate and interrupting him with a snide comment about uh, the Koch brothers. So in addition to being a kind of a cheap, dopey attack that doesn't really work, uh, it was, you know, it was incredibly rude. Was, you know, you, you were just, I, I watched it and I used to run campaigns and coach people for debates. And I was like, what? Like, what are you thinking? And then Scott Brown, being a great campaigner, said, offered to hand the mic over to her. And yeah. uh, then she had nothing to say and that made it even worse for her. And I, and that's the kind of thing that I think if people don't like you, as you know, Jay, they don't want to vote for you. And, and people in New Hampshire are very swingy. They're very, not in their, yeah. I don't know about the bedroom, but you know, they're, they're uh, very, they're very bi-curious as voters. They'll go anywhere. And I think that's the kind of thing that could really uh, hurt a candidate and make people go, you know, they're both very similar. They're both New Englanders They're both, neither of them is particularly, you know, extremist. I'm just not going to vote for the jerk. Right. Yeah, you know, and the other interesting thing about this, too, is that it, it, it's always intriguing when the, pro, when the Klieg lights really come on, you know, mm-hmm. which is to say, you know, you think Jean, Jean Shaheen, well, she's been in New Hampshire politics forever. Yep. Um, she should be able to handle herself better. But, you know, sometimes that's not actually how it works. And, you know, we've seen the same thing with Mark Udall in Colorado. You think, oh, well, he's an incumbent senator, you know. He's Mo Udall's kid. He should know what he's doing. But, you know, you, you turn the spotlight on, and, and, and he keeps sticking his foot in his mouth. And then the opposite happens in other instances. You know, who would have guessed, and again, in, two, in, in late 2009, who would have guessed that a state senator from Massachusetts named Scott Brown would become a U.S. senator and, and that he had this potential in him? And the same thing with Joni Ernst in Iowa, you know, is, which is to say she was just, you know, a, a rookie state senator in the Iowa legislature. Most people thought... It was a blown recruitment for the Republicans, but she's turned out to be really kind of a rock star. You know, you never know, um, you know, when people stand up at the microphone, and, and are they going to sound like Robert Plant or are they going to sound like me? You know, <laughs> it's just sort of how things work. And it's sort of a nice change of pace this cycle that it seems like the Republicans have more Robert Plants and the Democrats have more Jay Cox. Yes, it, it does. And I, I, don't, I, I've, I, I have not had a chance to hear you sing, but I'm sure it's not nearly that bad. But. Oh, I don't want to find I, out now. I assure you it I don't want to find out now. So that brings us to one week out. All the chips are in the center of the table, Jay Cost. Your mortgage is on the line. Mm-hmm. The final number of GOP pickups in the U.S. Senate shall be? Uh, seven. Seven. You know what? That is the weaselest answer you could possibly give. Oh, come on. You asked for an answer. I gave you one. No, what no, do you want? Because, no, I'm, it's, it's a legitimate answer. I'm just saying, you know, six is kind of the, you know, base Nine is kind of out there. Seven is like, well, we'll get the base and we'll get lucky somewhere else. So, well, Michael, look, you don't make it this long in this business as I have unless you know how to weasel your way out of tough questions. Very good. So, uh, and uh, what, what, which one of the kind of outlier seats, you know, beyond the expected Montana's, West Virginia's, are you the most confident about, and which one are you the least confident about? Least confident would probably at this point be Kansas. Mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, Kansas is, is, is my least. Most confident would be Arkansas. Jay Koss, that's why we asked you to do the uh, podcast. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.